The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. All right. Good morning and welcome to OPCC. Um, There is no announcement video this morning. I am the announcement video. So um, the uh, real quick. So last week, man, was amazing. I loved the I was super encouraged by the youth service. Um, So thanks to. The kids for for leading out on that service, and um, in light of that, though, uh, you know, we are, and it's actually pretty fitting for today's message, but uh, we are taking uh, a bit of a sabbatical from youth ministry starting this week, uh, going through uh, August 11th, I think is the date, Mama Coop, okay, August 11th, so going to take a little sabbatical, man, I am so blessed uh, and thankful to have an amazing leadership team. I want to kind of publicly thank them for their service. Uh, and so I didn't have an opportunity to do that last week. Um, but man, the service was so full of life. I just didn't think I could add anything else to it. But uh, nonetheless, thank you to my leaders. I hope you guys are encouraged to have a break um, to um, reset some of your rhythms, uh, abide well in the Lord, and come back for the Back to School Bash on August 11th. As we kind of get back uh, in a rhythm of meeting and uh, with the with the young people. So anyway, that's your only announcement. Uh, Jimmy and Abby and his family. For those of you that don't know, they just take an annual trip down to Oklahoma every year on the Fourth of July. So no matter what, you get to see me and some ugly America shirt. Uh, on stage July 4th, pretty much every weekend uh, of the year. So uh, speaking of rhythms, that's a little something that we do. I get to uh, give Pastor Jimmy a breather while he's out, hopefully not hurting himself on a kneeboard. Uh, the guy's got bad knees, man. <laughs> no, he's probably listening right now, and I hope that him and his family are having a good time at the lake. This morning is going to be a little bit, it's obviously going to be a sermon, it's it's a little bit more of a reflection, though, uh, of me personally, like something I've been walking through as I seek to follow Jesus and be the best man of God that I know how to be. Uh, you know, I've got my own struggles. I've got things that hang me up and uh, that I'm working through, and I'm quite certain that you guys do too. So I'm hoping that um, my pursuit uh, of, of um, the joy and the peace that should and does come from following and knowing Jesus, like my pursuit of that, hopefully uh, you guys can relate to some of the things that I struggle with, uh, but also find hope and uh, excitement in some of the remedies uh, that I've, you know, been seeking uh, out. So nonetheless, it'll be a little bit of a non-typical sermon today, but I hope you enjoy it, Uh, and we got a lot of ground to cover. So uh, I do want you to turn with me In Matthew 12, I'm sorry, Matthew 11, right before chapter 12, Matthew 11, verse 28, a super familiar passage, but we are going to, we're going to hit on this pretty heavy uh, throughout the course of the morning. So Matthew 11, verse 28, it's fitting that we start in the scriptures. This is a command that Jesus gives to us. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So there's a promise there. He will give us rest. We come 
to him those who are weary and burdened. That's, that's me. Um, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Okay, a yoke is, is a teaching, right? Take my teachings, take my life upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, that indeed he is, and you will find rest for your souls. There's this promise again, you will find rest for your souls. He explains, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we are to take up the easy yoke of Jesus, the easy teachings of Jesus. We are to follow in his ways that he, he says they're easy, but sometimes it can feel super difficult to, to follow Jesus or to be a Christian in the modern day world. I find it complicated. Um, I, uh, I, <clears throat> I first should clarify, um, man, like I absolutely love the Lord. I love Jesus, man. I love the gospel. I love the salvation message. There's nothing more that I get encouragement by or joy in than reaching someone for Christ. I particularly love lost people. I'll confess before the church, I actually like reaching lost people more than I do making disciples. I'm okay with confessing that, man. Making disciples is harder. Lost people is like more fun. Like to watch someone go from dead to like completely lost and when they realize that Jesus is real, when they realize salvation is available to them and that it's free, all they have to do is give up their life. Like, it's amazing, dude. I love it. I've had the fortune uh, with the blessing of God to lead a few dozen people, probably, I don't keep count, but uh, to actual authentic salvation in Christ. Um, I've made a f much fewer disciples uh, in my life, but I'm working on that. I'm actively making disciples, and, and I feel like if the Lord said, man, are you doing what I've asked you to do? I'd say, well, I'm trying. Uh, I'm giving it the old college try, and, uh, but it's, it's not easy. But nonetheless, um, man, I love, I love Jesus I love the church. Uh, church can be super complicated sometimes. I mean, some of you guys can um, uh, relate. Maybe some of you guys have some uh, historical background in a certain denomination where you've been hurt or have broken stories, or uh, maybe you grew up in the church and, and uh, with kind of some hypocritical parents or hypocritical pastors or who knows what, man. I mean, the church is messy because it's got people like me in it, right? It's broken, uh, it's, but, it's, but I love the church. Jesus loves the church. He died, he gave his life for the church, right? And he also told us that um, when he puts his spirit in us that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church is important. Um, although it can be messy and complicated, I love Jesus, I love his church, and I do, I love lost people, man. I have a heart to reach people that don't know Jesus um, and uh, nonetheless am committed to making disciples, although difficult, and um, see the fruit uh, and see the, the call of God on my life in that regard. So uh, I want to preface by saying, man, I'm just an everyday guy. Like I'm just a normal, average Joe dude. Nothing special about this guy, okay? But the point of today's topic is, man, even though I love Jesus, I love his church. I mean, I'm a pastor at a local church, right? Uh, I should love Jesus, not because it's part of my job title, but I'm here because somebody at some point thought that I love Jesus and they thought I was qualified to be a preacher of the word of God and therefore I'm here, right? By God's ordination. How, um, but I should 
just clarify that, like, just because of that, that doesn't mean that I don't, like, struggle. I mean, the, the honest truth is, man, on a daily basis, uh, I'd say probably more accurately on a weekly basis, but, man, I've struggled to, to truly, if I'm honest with myself and with you guys, lay hold of, of love, joy, and peace. Those three, right? I mean, I can, we can talk about all the fruits of the Spirit, but let's just stick with those three. No need, to kick a, no need to kick a dead horse, right? If you're struggling with love, joy, and peace, there's just really no need to proclaim that you're winning in any of the others, right? If you're not having love, joy, and peace, you just start there. There's a problem, okay? Uh, and if it's not consistent in you, right? Love, joy, and peace. And I'm like, man, what's, what's the problem? Man, I love Jesus. I love lost people. Man, I, I believe at least, I mean, like I can preach to some degree. Like I know what the Word says, Man, I know the gospel, like doctrinally, I feel like I'm rock solid, particularly when it comes to the things of salvation, you know, um, and majority of, you know, the Old and New Testament. I feel like I've got a pretty good understanding of the whole counsel of God. I've got a story to tell about how I came to know Christ. Um, I feel like my heart is like one of service, like that's at least my heart's desire. It's not always, my, my actions don't always follow through, but nonetheless, I'm sitting here wondering, well, then what's the problem, you know? Like, doctrinally, I feel like I'm pretty solid. Dude, I mean, I'm a pastor at a church, and shoot, man, I mean, I'm tithing, I'm faithful in, in areas of my life, and this and that, and that's no pat on my back. But when I'm trying to evaluate, well, why isn't there love, joy, and peace flowing out of my life? I mean, I'm doing all the things, you know, what's the problem? And this is kind of, you know, a little bit of, of um, what, I've, what I've realized is just... Uh, one of my problems is that my, my life is too fast-paced. Like, I just move at too fast of a pace. I live a very hurried life. And hurry is incompatible with love, joy, and peace. That Those two can't work together. And that's a problem. And so, um, but I wanted to just clarify, man, I'm an everyday guy uh, running a full-time real estate business, uh, which is going very well, praise the Lord for that. Uh, but man, I'm a husband to an amazing wife, Molly. I'm a father to four young, amazing kids. I'm an associate pastor and youth pastor on staff at an incredibly fast-growing, amazing church uh, in a vibrant community. I'm also a passionate outdoorsman, and then I jokingly put in my notes a struggling tent manager, <laughs> like temple manager, uh, trying to figure out how to stay physically healthy as I age in a busy world. It's a little complicated. Uh, but I've been following Jesus for 10 years, um, and uh, I got saved in college. I won't share with my, my story. That's for a different sermon. Uh, but I'm still learning, uh, although I, in some ways, I'm, a, I'm very veteran, so to speak. Like, I mean, there's some areas of my spiritual life where, man, I'm nails, dude. Like, I'm old school almost. Even though I'm a young guy, dude, like, I've got it down, you know. Like, I, I can, I understand some rhythms and, and some reasons why and, and, and et cetera in my spiritual life. But then in other parts, I'm completely deprived. I mean, I'm just spiritually ignorant. I'm absent. I'm dull. I'm flat. And so, um, you know, I'm looking, obviously, to be as well-rounded of a follower of Christ as I can be. Uh, and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm on a journey, much like you guys are. And so, uh, I'm always in a hurry. That's something that, you know, is funny. Like, I was talking to Ron Lynch in the, in the uh, 
lobby there, you know, and the first thing, Ron, what, what you said, man, how, how you doing, man? You been busy? You been busy? Oh, yeah, man, I've been busy, man. I've been busy. Everybody says that. We're all busy. I mean, Ron's retired. He's busy, you know. I mean, Ashley's a, a young mom. Of, look, she's busy, you know. Phil's busy. Castleman's, and we're all busy, man. I mean, Livy's in, what, high school? Busy, right? I mean, we're busy, dude. We all are busy, and it's, it's complicated. It, it actually does, I mean, I say it jokingly, but it creates problems in our life. It definitely created problems in mine. And so uh, a little background on time. Uh, I won't bore you with some of this, but I was reflecting on, like, well, so what, I mean, why do we always feel like we're running out of time? There never feels like there is enough time, right? Well, a uh, few little fun facts. So the clock was first created or erected in 1370, okay? The first clock known to man was erected in Cologne, Germany in 1370, okay? That's cool. Um, 500 years later, of course, much before that, too, there was the sundial, but I'm, I'm just starting with the clock. Uh, 1870, okay, so 500 years later, Edison, right, and, and a light bulb, in comes the light bulb. Now, the light bulb is when things, from a time management perspective for human beings, started to spiral a little bit, right? L dark no longer became uh, a problem for us, right? And so, uh, one of the things, you know, the uh, prior to the late 1800s, you know, they Studies would say, and I believe this to be true, that the average person would sleep 11 to 12 hours a day, right? I mean, they just quite simply went to bed when it was dark. There just wasn't anything they could do. They had candles and lamps and stuff, but very limited uh, in what we could do now, man. I mean, we got houses full of lights, buildings full of lights, all streets are lit up, everything, man. I mean, we can, there is no end to the day if we didn't want it to be, right? So, um, and, uh, you know, I thought it was funny. So, in, in America, we sleep less than seven hours a day. The average person sleeps less than seven hours a day. So we're approaching half of what our ancestors were sleeping for the previous several thousand years of human history, right? And so, and I'm reflecting on my own, like, I'm all right with sleep, man. I sleep good. I don't care what happened that day, dude. I got no problem sleeping, man. I sleep. Like, when I go down, I down hard. Um, but nonetheless, I do, at times, in the busyness of my life, feel this constant lag, like this lingering tiredness. I mean, it's not like, oh man, I only slept five hours last night. I should sleep eight tomorrow and I'm gonna be great. I'll wake up feeling refreshed. That's not really the truth. I kind of carry this low-grade exhaustion throughout my life. And, um, you know, and, and there's reasons for that, right? Um, you know, it's funny, I remember the Super Bowl uh, interview, they interviewed Tom Brady, and part of his little uh, uh, explanation of how, he sleeps like 12 hours a day. I, Bob, I see you nodding, it was something like that, right? He was, there. people were like, really, dude? And he's like, yeah, man, like, sleep, it's like, when, he, when Tom Brady, which, you know, he's, I'm not, like, idolizing him, but I mean, you know, just using a sports example, I mean, the dude has won, I don't know how many, he's got more Super Bowl rings than he's got fingers on a hand, right? And, like, he... At the top of his list, priority numero uno is sleep. Like he believes that is the most important part of his health and, 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 and like um, regimen for being a successful, like a guy performing at the highest level. He sleeps 12 hours a day, which is like, that's pretty cool. Um, but the truth is, man, we're an overstimulated people. And this is one of my stumbling blocks, man. I'm overstimulated all the time. Just 
busy, right, with life and kids and church and, and discipleship and, and, uh, and hunting and fishing and outdoor activities and baseball and, and uh, my gosh, I mean, you name it, right? I mean, getting the yard mode is like, whoo, I got the yard mode, man. You know, I mean, just like I'm cheering that I got a few of just the basic things done in life because it's so busy, right? So a few quick uh, I won't, I'm, not, I'm not blaming all of my busyness on my phone, but particularly like in, in my job in real estate and in ministry. I got two jobs, right? And as a part of that, like trying to figure out how to live a lifestyle, you know, like as a business owner and as a pastor, that's kind of the posh, hip thing to say. It's like, man, you don't have a job, man. You just need to like make it a lifestyle, man. You know, like that's what the cool counselors say. You're like, dude. It's still a job. I mean, I'm not complaining, but it, dude, it's work, you know? I have two jobs. And so you're like trying to figure out how do I live this lifestyle thing? And the phone, man, the phone is like a really, try. it's a challenging thing. It's like this love-hate relationship, right? Like my phone is the very thing that I can use to connect with people and, and like my clients. I wouldn't have a business if I didn't have a phone. I just wouldn't, right? And ministry to some degree would be super complicated without a phone, man, touch points, relate. that's just the world that we live in. But here's some interesting facts. Steve Jobs first introduced the iPhone to the world, okay, in 2007. That's like, that's only 14 years ago. That's not very long ago. I mean, so in 2007, the iPhone was introduced to the world. Here's some facts. The average, and this is just off of a, a survey done with over, there was, they, they surveyed 80,000 people back in uh, 2019. So in 2019, the average iPhone user checked their phone. This is not number of taps. This was the number of times they picked their phone up, either checked or acknowledged something. The screen came on and put it back in their pocket 58 times a day. The average User checks their phone 58 times per day. Now, that actually wasn't that alarming to me. I actually, just in my own time, figured out, man, I feel like I get a lot of calls from a real estate perspective. I'm like, how many calls do I actually get? An average day for me, and I did my own personal little survey over a two-week time period, was 42. I handle 42 phone calls a day. And so I thought, wow, that's so, that, number one, that's a lot. That's a, that's a lot of conversations. No wonder I'm exhausted at the end of the day. But number two was, oh, well, if the average person does checks their phone 58 times a day, my phone's ringing at least 40, let alone my Facebook posting and my bank account checking, you know, and my weather apping and whatever else I'm into, right? So 58, I was like, no problem, dude. I'm easily hitting that. But it starts to get staggering, right? The, so the average daily use, though, is three hours and 43 minutes a day. Average. I checked. My personal average is up close to five on my phone. You can look at your usage and see what it is. Mine was just short of five hours. At three hours and 43 minutes a day, that's almost 50 days a year. 50 days a year that you're on your phone, dude, that's like, now you're, the data's starting to kind of get a little bit staggering. You're like, geez, 50 days a year, right? In 10 years, that's 500 days. It's like a year and a half, just in 10 years. And 70% of the individual screen checks were less than a minute and 15 seconds long, but they were checked every hour and 40 minutes that these 80,000 people were awake. I'm like, whoo, 
I'm like, dude, I am falling right in line with some of those statistics. I'm meeting the average, or in some cases, I'm exceeding, dude. Like, I am the guy that's bringing the average up, right? Some of that is because of the job that I do, but some of it is just because, um, I, you know, I'm allowing myself to be victim uh, to, to the society that we're living in. Uh, the Lord led me to Psalm 16, verse 8. You don't have to turn there. It's short. But it says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And I was, I was stricken by that. I was humbled. I thought, man. And so I just wrote a little confession. I said, man, I, my confession, in contrast to that, I keep my eyes on the world. With my phone at my right hand, I'm consistently shaken. A low-grade but consistent anxiety is the windshield through which I see a good portion of my life. My desire for more in life keeps me restless. My heart is not glad, and my tongue rarely rejoices. That's just an honest confession. It's like, man, instead of keeping my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand and not being shaken, man, my phone's at my right hand, and I'm super in tune with the weather and the world and my friends, and the family, I could tell you everything that's going on in the world of my sphere of influence, but man, like, if I'm honest, and it's not like a shame, not like shaming myself, it's just, again, this is all like a, an effort to grow, like as a person, and a follower, an apprentice of Jesus, is like, dude, I, if Jesus was me, living in 2021, would he check his phone 58 times a day? There is no way. There's absolutely no way he would do that. And so my lifestyle is a little bit upside down. So in my pursuit of that, um, you know, and again, it's not a shaming thing. It's like, well, uh, why is it? Is it because I don't love Jesus? No, I love Jesus. Like, that's why I started there. Like, I wouldn't be up here if I didn't, man. I would have quit a long time ago. You know, I love the Lord, man. I want to see people know and grow in him. That's why he has me up here. Um, But the, the main, the root of it is like, why do I kind of feel this, this absence from time to time? It's, man, because I'm in a hurry. And so hurry, closely, I, I Googled it, and as, when, when it's used as a noun, it closely, most closely relates to commotion, rush, turmoil, confusion, and bustle. Those were all the acronyms for, um, or synonyms, I don't know. I don't, I'm not an English guy, whatever. Acronym, synonym, synonym, that's what I thought. So um, the, uh, the simple essence of hurry is simply too much to do and not enough time to do it. It was wisely defined as an, as a, as an ancient teacher, the state of frantic effort one falls into in response to inadequacy, fear, and guilt. And dude, that is so true. I mean, the reason I rush around is because I feel like there's something in my life that I'm lacking. And I'm trying to make up for that, right? I'm rushing around, I'm rushing around. You know, accumulation and accomplishment. The, 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 the double barrel, right? The two A's. Accumulation and accomplishment, man. Like, it, it's a, those are good things. Like, to accumulate some wealth or to accumulate some knowledge or to accumulate, that's okay. You know, accomplish things, winning awards, being recognized. We love that, man. I definitely do. I mean, I wouldn't have played sports without it. I mean, that's, that's what motivates us, accumulation. And, um, but, man, it's, it, it can really become a problem if, it, if it's not properly bridled. So I started reading this book. And, uh, and, lo- and, and doing some, some, listening to some sermons and also 
just connecting with some friends, right? Some brothers in Christ, right? Seeking counsel from Christian men of the Lord. And one of my buddies recommended this book, which I'll give you some details on the book here in just a minute. But um, he, the, in this book, they, de- they define uh, kind of a new cultural pandemic, so to speak. It's not COVID-19. It's hurry sickness. And it's defined as a behavior pattern characterized by the continual rushing and anxiousness, okay? It's, a, it's actually a mental condition in which a person feels chronically short of time and performs every task a little faster and gets flustered when encountering any kind of delay. I don't know if you can find yourself nodding your head there, but man, I'm super guilty of this. Man, I, my, I pack my calendar full, man, whether it's work, ministry, family, hunting, doesn't matter, dude. I like to do life to the full. That's what Jesus said, right? <laughs> but man, not exactly for me. It's like I pack it in real tight. And if there's any hiccups in that schedule, I'm frustrated. I'm like, come on, man. I feel like other people are lacking, and therefore I lack grace on them. I lack grace on myself for my own calendar or my own um, goals, right? My own metrics. I'm like, man, it's everything's got to be so timely, and if it go, anything doesn't doesn't work out just prop, just smooth and proper, I get irritable. So, man, I'm starting to think, I'm like, well, shoot, man, I probably struggle with hurry sickness, right? Whatever this thing is, you can call it whatever you want. Here's 10 symptoms, though, that I was like, well, I was like, well how do I really know? And again, this, I'm not a scientist, nor is this guy, but I found this incredibly helpful, and so I took a little spiritual inventory of myself and again, this is, these are just this guy's opinions, but this guy was a pastor. This book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, by the way, by John Mark Comer. It is a fascinating book. I suggest you read it. I definitely don't have time to, to share all of it. I'm just sharing a little nuggets of what God's been showing me over the last six months as, and a few parts of this book that really hit home. So uh, if you're vibing with me, uh, let's take a little self-inventory. Here's 10 symptoms that might ring true for you. If not, just sit back, sip your coffee. You're doing great in life. If not, number one, irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or just simply annoyed at people very easily. Little normal things irk you. People have to tiptoe around your ongoing low-grade negativity, if not outright anger. Look at how you treat those closest to you, not necessarily strangers, your spouse, your children, or your roommate. Are you irritable? Shoot, man, I was guilty, okay? Number one, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to set you off or hurt your feelings. A grumpy email sends you overboard, or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk and spoil your day. Minor things quickly escalate to major emotional events. I was like, dude, I'm super guilty there, man. I'll have clients sometimes, dude, like... I mean, I work with some amazing people. I work with some grumpy people, too. And I have a hard time letting it go. Sometimes people just chap my backside, and it'll burn the rest of my day, and I'll start noodling on it. I'll start thinking, like, I'm flat angry at these people. I'm like, I cannot believe that lady had the audacity to just get nasty with me. Like, I'm helping her out. Like, you know, I'm putting more money in her pocket, or like, man, she... She would be lost without me. I mean, I start having all these 
thoughts and frustrations and angers. And next thing you know, it's seven or eight hours after the text or after the phone call. And I'm still stirring, man. I mean, I'm cooking up something serious. I'm mad. I'm hypersensitive. So check that box. Restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't. Relaxing is hard for you. Man, relaxing is hard for me. You give Sabbath a try. Ah, let's Sabbath, man. That's, that's cool. That's, that's a Christian Bible church thing to do. Sabbath, man. Take a break. Take a day off. Dude, Sabbathing is not just taking a day off. That's a totally different sermon. But when you try to Sabbath, you don't like it. You struggle at it. You read scripture, but it's kind of boring to you. Anybody feel like that? Scripture's a little bit boring? I'll confess. Man, I love Jesus with all my heart. I find scripture boring sometimes. Man, that's, I, I struggle with this hurry sickness, right? And so you have quiet time with God, but can't focus your mind. I suck at that. Man, I'm like sitting with Jesus. I'm like, all right, man, I'm in my chair, my holy chair. I'm in my office, it's quiet, the kids aren't up, and I'm reading my Bible. But dude, my mind is racing with all the things I've got to do that day. I can't focus, man. I cannot focus. How about workaholism or just nonstop activity in case you're retired? You just don't know when to stop. Or worse, you can't. Another hour, another day, another week. Your drug of choice is, there it is, accomplishment and accumulation. These could show up as careerism, obsessive house cleaning, errand running, shopping, etc. You fall prey to sunset fatigue, where the day's end, you've got nothing left to give to your spouse, children, or loved ones. Hmm, that sucks. I fall guilty there too. Sometimes I come home and I'm proud of myself. I worked so hard. And then I pull in the driveway and I'm like, dude. I'm out of gas, dude. I got nothing to give, man. And it's sad because my kids and my wife are looking for more from me, right? And again, no shame here, just self-inventory. Emotional numbness, number five. You just don't have the capacity to feel other people's pain. People around you are struggling, but you don't care because you're, you're in the midst of a struggle. Man, that's hard as a pastor. I'm like, dude, my job is to care for people that hurt. But when I'm hurting, dude, I don't care. Other people are hurting. I'm hurting. It's like, dude, if I broke my arm and then you broke your arm, I'm like, dude, I hurt. Like, it's hard to care about your hurt when I'm hurt, right? Emotional numbness. I've got that one too. Out of order priorities. Anybody? Feel disconnected from your identity and calling? Like, shoot, man, like I'm a pastor. Like, But not just being a pastor. I'm talking about to the everyday layperson here this morning, right? Where it's like, man, your identity and calling. Your identity is a child of God. Your calling is to go there for and make disciples. Anybody feeling disconnected from that? I'm sure there's some hands being raised. You're always getting sucked. Listen to this, man. I wrote this on my whiteboard. I just put Shay. Shay, you get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent but not the important. So many things in my life feel so urgent, and they're not important. And then the things that are important, I don't get to tend to because I was too busy tackling the urgent. Man, oh, that literally, that is in all caps at the top of my whiteboard. Thank you, Lord, for that. That's a good word. Life is reactive and not proactive. The one thing I've learned is I don't plan very well to allow myself to n- not 
hurry or to not rush, right? You have to plan for that. Otherwise, the world will take it from you, right? It's like a resource that you have that you're not aware of, and people are, you know, robbing you. Okay, number, uh, that was number six. Number seven, lack of care for your body. Dang it. Shay, not scoring well here, dude. You don't have time for the basics. Basics. Eight hours of sleep at night, minimum. Ancestors did 11 plus. Brady's at 12, killing it. Daily exercise. Reason, he even says reasonably healthy home-cooked meals. Now, my wife's an amazing cook, dude. Molly can cook some food, man. But when you're running around busy, I, here's, I, sometimes I get, I, I've been so busy in my life where she's made a healthy home-cooked meal. I'm just not getting home to so dead gum late, and I'm starving before I get home, and I pick up an unhealthy meal when really if I would have properly planned my schedule and been home, I would have had a healthy meal, and my wife was awesome to make me one, right? And she would have been encouraged that I ate it instead of stuck in the microwave. You gain weight, sick few times a year, you wake up tired. This says don't sleep well. And like I said, I sleep well, but boy, I do wake up tired. And you live off the four horsemen of the industrialized food apocalypse. That sounds pretty intense, which is caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and alcohol. Man, gum. Escapist behaviors. When we're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, we turn to our distraction of choice over eating, over drinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at porn. Dude, any of these preferred cultural narcotics. Now, he does say narcotics are good and even healthy at times, but on a, only on occasional short-term basis when they shield us from unnecessary pain. But when, this is the key, when we abuse them, to escape from reality, they eat us alive. You find yourself stuck in a negative feedback loop of socially acceptable addictions, right? There's things that we allow ourselves to fall into, habits that we, have, that we allow ourselves that are socially acceptable. They're just not good for us spiritually. Or you could easily put it, they're just not things that Jesus would do, right? Jesus would not overeat, get hammered, and binge-watch Netflix on a repeated basis. That just is not what he would do if he lived in 2021. He just wouldn't do it. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. If you're anything like me, you get over-busy. The things that are truly life-giving for your soul are the first to go rather than your go-to. Quiet time in the morning, scripture reading, deep prayer, honest Sabbath, Worship on Sundays, some of us do all right there. Good to see you guys. A meal with your community, and so on, right? Slipping of spiritual disciplines. Anyone guilty there? Isolation is the last one. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. On the rare times, you actually do stop to pray. And by pray, I don't mean ask God for stuff. I mean sit with God in the quiet. You're stressed and distracted that your mind doesn't settle down long enough to actually enjoy the Father's company, which is the reason that you should sit with him in the first place. Isolation. Lots of struggles. So, do the math. How'd you score, right? I, personally, put an 8 out of 10, probably to some degree could have done a 10 out of 10. And again, no shame. 
just taking an inventory, man. I love Jesus. My identity is that I'm a son of God. Like, because of my faith in Christ, dude, I'm saved. When I get to heaven, man, it's going to be awesome. Jesus has prepared a place for me. He's been building it for the last 2,000 years. I'm sure it's totally awesome. Like, all is good on that front. But I've got to be honest about my life. Man, I want it to look more like Jesus, right? So here's what I've learned. And um, so number one, I suffer from hurry sickness. And I, to just borrow off the title of the book, I was like, man, I do. I need to ruthlessly, and that's an aggressive word, eliminate hurry from my life. Man, hurry is just the enemy to my soul. And I got to push back on that, right? So I'm working on it. Um, Hurry, uh, excuse me, this guy, Carl Jung, he's a psychologist, you probably heard of him, but he says, hurry isn't of the devil, it is the devil. I was like, yeah, that's good. The devil, here's here's something else I've learned. The devil isn't obvious. I mean, he's subtle, right? The devil's not standing in my driveway with a pitchfork breathing fire on my flowers, right? The, The devil, I find him in social media posts as I'm going down through there and I'm, ju- and I'm starting to judge people, and it doesn't make me feel good, or I'm starting to envy somebody's life, or they have something that I don't have, and I'm like, ugh, what is this? This is not Jesus. This is Shay, but I keep doing it. You know what I mean? That's the devil working in me. It's marketing ads that create a lust that aren't good for the eyes, right? It's a ding of a text message when I'm reading my Bible, Reading my Bible, I'm like, oh, man, there I am in that holy chair, man, that chair by the window, by the big tree, man. Like, this is good. The sun's coming up. No kids up. Ding. Ding. Group text. My bros. Ding. You're the boys. Ding. Client. Right? It's like, wait a minute. Dude, put that thing on silent. Or, dude, don't even be in the same room as the dinger. That's where the devil, dude, he's distracting you, right? Or it's the construction cones on my way to the park to find my quiet place. Oh, shoot, man, they're repaving the drive of that thing. Look at that. There's the devil, right? So instead of going to find another quiet place, I just go home and start working, right? That's the devil. That's how he works, right? It's a dopamine dump when you spend 45 minutes scrolling Instagram and you pick your head up and go, I wasted an hour of my life. That's where the devil is, where you'll find him, right? It's on, and then this one hits home, man. I mean, this was just a really, you know, something that, you know, hurt, hurt my feelings, where it's like, man, my son hit, hit a really nice hit in a baseball game, but guess what I was doing? I was on a work call. It was urgent. It was urgent. I was on a work call. My son comes running up to me. He's like, Dad, did you see that? Man, I got a double. I had to be honest with him. I didn't. I was on the phone. Urgent call. Easily could have waited another three hours, right? It's, 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 um, there's, there's opportunity, right? Again, no shame. It's opportunity. My main response to people, I talked about this earlier, when they ask how I'm doing, is good, man, good, just busy, man, life's busy. It's like, I have to stop saying that. If that is my response, then that means I've done nothing to change what God has shown me, meaning I'm not walking in correction, which is part of how we walk as Christians. Now, not all busy is bad, okay? I'm going to ease up a little bit, man, in case you're feeling kicked or down, man. It's all right. Take a deep breath, man. Not... Not all busy is bad. Jesus was busy. Turn with me to Mark 5. Mark 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. I want to read a little story. Mark 5, 
Verse 21. This was encouraging to me. When Jesus had again crossed over. Now, keep in mind, man, Jesus just got through. I mean, he's been preaching sermons. He calmed the storm. He restored a demon-possessed man. And now he's getting ready to heal uh, Jairus, a Jewish teacher's sick girl, uh, daughter. And, uh, and in the process, somebody interrupts him. as he's. So there's no doubt, man, Jesus, you read Mark 1 through 5, he's been busy. Jesus is now on the job as Messiah. Officially, okay, on the job, like baptized, filled with the Spirit, Messiah at work. He is busy doing life, doing ministry, and is hard at it. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now keep in mind, man, Jesus was over here. He crossed the lake. He's going to a completely different town. He's committed to this man, Jairus, that he will come help his sick daughter, right? But as they're going, man, crowds are gathering, man. You could only imagine what Jairus is thinking, right? He's like, dude, these people, man, like I finally got to Jesus and he said he was going to help, and now we're like walking in, the, like, it's like Jesus is like taking a pass through the shopping mall or something, and Jairus is like, dude, like my daughter's dying, like, can, a little urgency here, you know? No, Jesus had no urgency. He says, uh, it says here, then a woman, uh, oh, sorry, 26, she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now, there's a whole sermon you could preach about this uh, but that's not what I'm getting at. She heard about Jesus, and when she came up behind him in the crowd, she touched a cloak, right? She touched the edge of his robe because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. Again, he's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. This lady touches his robe, and he could feel the power leave him. He's like, what happened, right? At once, Jesus realized the power had gone. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. They're like, Jesus, really, dude? Like, we're in a huge crowd, bro. Like, who didn't bump you, is what they're saying. And yet, you can ask, who touched me? Jesus kept looking around to see who'd done it. He knew something had happened. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, so he healed this lady who had a significant bleeding issue from her youth, right? This is a miracle in and of itself. While that was happening, some people came from the house of Jairus, like his family, uh, and the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? They're like, dude, there's no hope. Even though Jesus said he was going to come, look, man, he's got other things to do. He's busy, right? People are gathering around him. He's busy. And um, 36, Jesus, overhearing what they said, told them, don't be afraid, man. Just believe. Just believe, man. Don't be afraid. Jesus never once lost sight of what, was, what the need was and his commitment that he had made. He just wasn't in any hurry. He knew that the Father was way out in front of it. He didn't let anyone know 
um, anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion, people crying and wailing aloud. He went in and said to them, why all the commotion and wailing? The child isn't dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha kumi, right, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up, began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The point is, man, Jesus is, was very busy. Jesus just wasn't in a hurry. That's a huge difference. That's a skill. That's something that I'm learning and maybe you uh, are working on in your life as well. Love, joy, and peace are exactly what Jesus wants to cultivate in my life, man. Jesus wants me to experience the fruit of the Spirit. But my worst moments as a father or a person or a husband or a pastor are when I'm hurried. See, I put here, the, for most of us, the danger in our spiritual lives isn't that we're going to just like reject Jesus or like um, denounce our faith, right? Like that's not my concern. My concern isn't that like all of a sudden I'm not going to believe Jesus is Savior anymore. Like that's asinine. But my concern is that I actually don't live the life that Jesus had for me to live. That's super important. And so um, Jesus said, I came to give you life and that you would have it to the full. And sometimes, although I love my life, I love every part of my life, even my struggles, because that's what allows me to run to the Lord, and I find him there, and that's why I'm up here talking about it, right? But in this book, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start to land the plane here uh, with this. Um, he offers some suggestions. I, I do encourage you to read the book, but uh, the most important thing that I took away was um, that uh, silence and solitude. So he offers four solutions to unhurrying your life. Number one is engage in silence and solitude, which I'm about to talk about. Number two is learning how to Sabbath. That's a totally different sermon. Number three is simplifying your life and four, slowing down. I won't talk about two, three, or four, but we will hit on silence and solitude today because it is where everything flows from. So to start... Going back to the passage in Matthew 11, right? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for my, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? Jesus had two things, a yoke. Let's start there. A yoke was a teaching, a set of teachings about how to be a human. That was Jesus' yoke, and he offers us that. In fact, he asks us, a yoke, right, is a thing an agricultural tool that they would place upon the ox so that they could plow, right? So Jesus, he's not asking us to not work or to not engage in life. That's absolutely not what he's asking us to do, right? Yokes are for farming. Farming is work. It's not rest. It's not like napping. It's farming, right? But Jesus offers the new way to carry the burden of life, and that is his yoke. He says, live like I do. And you will be productive. You will, you will live the life that I've asked you to live. So the first thing he has is a yoke, a teaching for us on how to be human. The second thing he has are apprentices or disciples. We are. That's what we're here for. We're here to apprentice Jesus. We're here to follow him. He is the way, the truth, 
and the life, okay? And what I'm here to talk about today mostly is the, we, we, a lot of us would confess and believe in the truth about Jesus. We all would agree we want to live like Jesus and have his life. We just don't necessarily follow his way, the daily way in which Jesus lives his life. So how does he do that, right? But to be an apprentice of Jesus, you need to organize your life. I'll say that again. Organize your life. Organizing takes planning. It takes time. It takes intentionality. So you need to intentionally organize and plan your life around these three things in order to follow Jesus. Are you ready? you got to be with Jesus. you got to become like Jesus and do what he would do if he were you. In order to follow Jesus, that's it. It's that simple, right? Um, Jesus' invitation to the people of the first century when he was alive on planet earth, walking the hills of Judea, was to come and follow me, right? That's what he told Matthew, Peter, James, John, all the disciples, come, follow me, right? You could also translate that as, hey, do what I do. Just do what I do. And if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you must adopt his lifestyle, That's where I've been lacking. That might be where you're lacking. It's not about the truth of the gospel or my belief system. Most of us in this room would agree on 19 out of 20 biblical doctrine basis, right? It's that we lack to live the lifestyle of Jesus. I give an example of like, uh, you know, say uh, uh, some super fit guy, man, like CrossFit Games winner, right? Dude, are you kidding me? I want to be like that guy. I mean, he's flipping jacked. Biceps, dude, like veins in the neck. He could run a sub six and a half minute mile. You know, I mean, dude is super fit, man. He's tan, buff, no chest hair. Just a savage dude, right? I want that. I do. I would love, dude, the, the health the, the endurance, just the, over, the vitality that guy must have. Dude, like, that guy doesn't wake up tired. That guy wakes up ready to eat weights for lunch. I'm like, dude, I want that. Here's the problem. I'm not willing to adopt the lifestyle. I'm not willing to go to the gym like that, dude, obviously. I just am not willing to do it. It's not worth it to me. So a lot of us, everyone in the room would look into the life of Jesus and go, yeah, Jesus the man. He's the savior. He's the Lord, King of the Jews, you know, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Son of God, Savior, all that, dude, amazing. But we're not willing to adopt a lifestyle so we don't look like him. We don't act like him. We don't talk like him because we're not willing to adopt a lifestyle, right? The Western church has lost sight of the way of Jesus, right? We're not talking about beliefs, man. We're talking about how he lived his life. Join with me uh, at the end of... Um, Matthew 3, uh, well, you, don't, you can turn there if you want. It's short. At the end of Matthew 3 and beginning in Matthew 4, verse 1, Jesus immediately, he was baptized. This is an interesting story. You see where Jesus gets baptized, and the first thing after he is assigned the call of God as Messiah, Savior of the world, The God-man himself on planet earth to begin his public ministry, the first thing he does is what? 
he gets sent into the wilderness, okay? Now, wilderness, that's interesting. Let's dwell on that for a minute. The wilderness, in verse 1 of Matthew 4, the wilderness described where Jesus spent 40 days, almost a month and a half, in the Greek is the eremos, the eremos. And I'm not the pastor guy that likes to quote all the Greek and Hebrew stuff, man. It's valuable, but in this case, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leverage it because it is important. The eremos is Defined as the solitary place, the quiet place, the wilderness, the lonely place, or this one got me, an uncultivated region fit for grazing. I'm like, huh. So I start looking into the, to this a little bit more, and I found this quote online. This was a gentleman named Hepworth Dixon that wrote a book called The Holy Land. He wrote this. He said, even in the wilderness, nature is not as stern as man. Here and there, in the clefts and the basins, on the hillsides, grade upon grade, you'll observe a patch of corn here, a clump of olives there, a single palm, or maybe a broad stand of oaks. So the wilderness sometimes we think of as the deserted place where nothing exists, and that is not what is described here as the Eremos. It was only after a month and a half of prayer time spent in the Aramos that Jesus himself had the strength to, now remember Jesus was fully God but also fully man, had the strength to resist a face-to-face encounter with the devil. In Mark 1, you don't have to turn there, I'll summarize it. Mark 1 is simply a summary of day one on the job as Messiah for Jesus. Day one, man, he is busy. He's flat out Busy, let's actually, you can turn there. We'll be in Mark 6 after that, so you'll be close. Mark 1, right? John the Baptist prepares the way. Jesus gets baptized, sent into the wilderness or the Aramos, right? He calls his first disciples to him. He drives out impure spirits. He starts healing people. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, right? Day one of Jesus's uh, day on the job as Messiah was a marathon day, man, full of ministry. And the next morning, we'll read, let's see, in Mark 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And you look that up, it is the Eremos. It's the same place where Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness previously. So Jesus spent time in the solitary place, the quiet place with the Father for 40 days. He's on the job for one day, pours out everything he's got as Messiah in one day, and the next morning he's right back in the quiet place. He's setting a model for how we should live our life. Man, my quiet place is not that frequent, and therein lies my problem. Maybe you're in a similar place. Silence is literally no noise. We're talking about silence and solitude. And I'll go ahead and have Sean come on up. Silence is no noise, no distractions. It's that simple, right? You've got internal and external silence. Now, external for me, super obvious, man. And you might say, Shay, this is fine, dude. You're talking about getting alone to be with Jesus in a quiet place and blah, blah, blah. Like, dude, I got four kids under eight. Like, 
dude, I, like my husband's busy and, and this and that. I got four dogs and six sheep and two chickens and dude, like we're busy, okay? And it's loud. Like you're talking about getting in a quiet place, dude. Like, I don't know, man. It's not quiet. Have you been to my house? And I'm like, I get it. I'm the same way. My house is chaotically noisy and I love it. I really do, man. I love my kids. I love hearing my loud kids, but it's not the place where I go to abide with Jesus. That's why I get in my truck and drive to a park early in the morning because that is quiet, okay? And yes, sometimes I like to be at home eating donuts with the kids or whatever, and that's totally cool, but I need to have a greater, more intentional rhythm in the way that Jesus did, right? He spent 40 days in the quiet place. He did ministry for one day, and he was right back in the quiet place. Me, I do ministry for like five days, and I go to the quiet place like one morning, and I'm starving to death spiritually, and I'm like, Jesus, fill me. And then I go back into ministry or back, and when I say ministry, I'm not talking about just the church, man. I'm talking about my life. We're all called to a ministry. We're all called to live the life that Jesus called us to live, which is to pour out your life, to, to die to yourself and to live for Christ, right? Give up all the things that you care about for the things that he does. And so externally, man, I need to get to a place. We need to get to a place of silence where it, there is no kids, no music, no talking, no phones. Silence. That's hard. I was challenged by Jimmy the other day. Dude, he's like, bro, sit for an hour in complete silence. No talking. You ever tried that? That's super hard. You tried that? Are you good at it? I'm terrible at it. I'm like, it's so loud. Like silence in my head is loud. It's like ringing. I'm like, dude, Surely, like, surely I can say something. It's like, no, dude, just chill out. Quit being in a hurry. You just sit there. See what the Lord might say to you. Man, that's challenging. Solitude is engagement, not isolation. We mix that up sometimes. So solitude, a lot of us find solitude in sitting on the couch after the kids are in bed. We got Netflix rolling and Instagram bumping, Right? That's solitude because we're like in our like kind of chill place. Like we think that we're happy there, but we're actually not. We're not engaging in anything. We're just isolating. Isolation, no good. Solitude is good. Solitude is safety. Um, isolation is danger. And um, again, I wrote, not getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent. We've got to find our happy place with Jesus, our quiet place with Jesus. That is the most important thing, guys. If I've learned anything in the last 10 years, especially in the last 10 months, even more so in the last 10 days, my quiet time with Jesus is where love, joy, and peace can actually flow from my life. I'll close with this. I'm going to read uh, the, you know, some of the um, I felt like the, this book challenged me to um, consequences for not doing it and rewards for doing it. So listen to this. He says, if we don't practice this Jesus soul habit of daily resting, truly spending time with the Father like Jesus did, apprenticing to him, here's the consequences. Take note. We feel distant from God and end up living off somebody else's spirituality. 
Man, I can tell you there's been times in my life where I've lived off somebody else's spirituality. Man, my wife's been on fire. Pastor Jimmy's been on fire. My youth team, man, they're amazing and leading the kids well. And I'm, if I'm honest with myself at times, I'm like, dude, I'm exhausted. But I'm living off their spirituality. And that doesn't feel good. We feel distant from ourselves. We lose sight of our identity and calling, man. There's times where I'm like, God, there's no way you called me to ministry. Look at me, I'm a mess. He's like, no, I did, dude. You just gotta like, Pick yourself up a little bit, bro. You're being spiritually lazy. You got to quit being lazy, man. You got to get in the game. You got to actually not work so hard and work from rest instead of resting from work, right? We teach that in discipleship, dude. You got to learn how to work from rest, dude. You got to rest and then go do the work of the kingdom, not just work like crazy and then try to find a nap. That's not the recipe. We feel an undercurrent of anxiety that rarely, if ever, goes away. I feel that. I've felt that for the last 10 years of my life. We get exhausted. We wake up and our first thought is, dang, again? Again? We turn to our escapes of choice. We run out of energy. Actually living, uh, sorry, we run out of energy to do the things life-giving for our souls, like prayer. Instead, we turn to the cheap fix. Another glass of wine, a new show online, more hour-long social media threads and maybe some occasional pornography. We become easy prey for the tempter, just furthering our sense of distance from God and our souls. Emotional unhealth sets in. We start living from the surface of our lives and not the core. We're reactionary. The smallest thing is a trigger, a throwaway line from the boss, a snide comment from a coworker. It all sets us off. It doesn't take much. We lose our tempers, bark at the kids, get defensive, sulk, feel angry or sad, or often think, I may be depressed. These are the signs. If someone engages in silence and solitude, on the flip side, here's the alternative. This is encouraging. And I'm going to leave you guys with these five or six points. We find our quiet place. We park down the street find the reading nook at home, a morning routine that makes sense before the kids are awake, a time to come away with Jesus. We take our time. Maybe it's a full hour. Maybe we're not there long enough to decompress from all the noise and traffic, but maybe we are. Sometimes all we need is a few minutes. Other times an hour is not enough, but we gratefully take in the time that we get. We slow down. We breathe. We actually sit in the present. We start to feel again. We feel the whole gamut of emotions, not just joy and gratitude and celebration and restfulness, but we feel sadness, doubt, anger, and anxiety. He says, usually I feel all the lousy ones first. That's just how it goes. I feel that way too sometimes. We face the good, the bad, the ugly in our own hearts, our worry, depression, our hope, our desire for God, our lack of desire for God, our sense of his presence or our sense of his absence, Our fantasies, our realities, all the lies, the truth we come home to, our motivations, our addictions, our coping mechanisms, all this is exposed before our loving Father. But rather than leaking out our problems on those that we love most, we expose it in the safe place of the Savior's love and His voice. In our ears, we sense His voice cut through the cacophony of, I don't even know what that word is, of all the other voices, the noise, I would say, which slowly fade, I'm not a grammar expert, you can tell, which slowly fade to the deafening roar of silence. 
In that silence, we hear God speak his love over us, speak identities and calling into being. Like for me, man, I know God's called me to ministry. I just want to run away from it all the time. And I need to spend some quiet time with Jesus when I'm sitting with him. And then I, not only do I believe he's called me to it, but I actually want to do it. We get his perspective on life and our humble, good places in where he's placed us. So in the spirit of the 4th of July, this is where we come to a place of freedom. Our failures slowly lose their power over us. So do our successes. We get out from under the tyranny of other people's opinions and their approval or disapproval of us. We're free. Free to be us, the mixed bag that we are and the way that God's made us. Nothing more than children of our Heavenly Father, adopted into love by the Savior Jesus. Free to be in process, yet to arrive, and that's all right. In silence and solitude, our souls finally come home. This is what Jesus meant by abide, the place of rest. We come back to our place of soul rest, which is the unhurried place of peace and power. And he says, and I see, I agree with him. He says, we have two options. Option A, we neglect the practice, make excuses, get sucked into the rat race of 2021 living, and face emotional unhealth at best and spiritual oblivion at worst. I've experienced both. Or B, we recapture this ancient yet timely practice and experience the life of Jesus. I encourage you, will you find your Eremos this week. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.